Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following program is presented by the Nerdy Show Podcast Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination, and with the generous support of listeners like you. For more Nerdy Show podcasts, community forums, and learn how you can support this and other Nerdy Show programming, visit nerdyshow.com. This is Pat the Talking Bearskin Rug, and we've got two special interviews for you this month. Let's kick it off with our first. Brian got to sit down with Ryan Brown, creator of Blast Furnace and God Hates Astronauts, which is coming to Image Comics as an ongoing series starting in September. Check it out. Welcome to Flame On. My name is Brian. I am here with our very special guest, Ryan Brown. How you do? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So it's funny. Uh, well, I guess we'll, we'll save the little personal, uh, story of how we got to this point. But, um, Ryan, for those of you who have not yet seen or heard, is the, uh, creator of, uh, writer and uh, illustrator. I don't know, whatever, penciler, whatever term you, uh, you like to use. Um, <laughs> drawer. Drawer. Draw yeah. friend. So, master, master storyteller. Uh, cartoonist. Please. Sure. <laughs> um, master cartoonist behind God Hates Astronauts. Uh, now, if you have not seen this, you missed out on this great Kickstarter effort done, uh, what was about a year and a half ago? Yeah, it was March, March to April of last year. So that was very successful. Lots of fans got their hands on your, uh, your original graphic novel creation that is God Hates Astronauts. And it was so successful that not only did you meet your Kickstarter goal and ship all the books out to everybody, but Image decided to uh, bring you on for a full series. So I'm I'm thrilled. Yeah, me too. It's weird. I'm you know I spent years doing this book with um, no publisher and no one really caring. I did it as a web comic for a long time, um, and it found its audience somehow. And then that you know was able to. Prove it to Image that it was worth uh, jumping on board. So it's it's uh, it's you know it's it's a dream come true actually. It's it's pretty amazing. 
Now, um, we've been trying to set this interview up, I think, since we first met in 2012. Uh, that yeah. was three years ago, Heroes Con. And, uh, it was you and Nick Patara and a couple other guys that we were all kind of hanging out. And you were so, you and your lovely now wife, Carrie, were so awesome and so much fun that I think it was really hanging out with you guys at the bar at Heroes, like that made that whole convention because that was the first time I had really been to a, a convention like that and actually like went to the, the, the hang spot and actually hung out with pretty much whoever was, you know, there. And you, if you've never gone to these conventions and hung out at like the host hotel, any number of uh, creators, uh, you know, if you're into the media celebrity thing, whatever, but I mean, comic book professionals are hanging out, talking shop, having a good time. And that was, that was my experience in 2012 hanging out with you guys and I'm so glad that like I said we finally got you. Uh, we lined up our schedules just right. Um, I first uh, encountered you then and read God Hates Astronauts, uh, some of the stuff online, I believe, right after that. Mm-hmm. And then actually you had something prior with the uh, – and I'm always going to mess this one up too. Burning – burn, burn, burn furnace. No, damn it. <laughs> Going. I, keep, I like this. I, like I this keep thing. wanting to call it Burning Crusade because I think that's a WoW reference. Uh huh. But it's totally close to that, right? It's called Blast Furnace. That's it. God, you know, it's terrible because I own it. I actually gave a friend of mine uh, a copy, and he just went crazy for it. Um, but yeah, so uh, Blast Furnace caught actually I think my attention before God Hates Astronauts because. Both, if you if you're not familiar with them, um, is Blast Furnace still out there on the uh, the interwebs? Yeah, the uh, at BlastFurnaceComic.com you can read it, um, and then I've got like print copies that uh, I sell at shows and on my Etsy store. Uh, but Bla- Blast Furnace was um, an improv comic that I was doing because I I got the job drawing a book called Smoke and Mirrors for IDW, and I had to. Stop working on God Hates Astronauts because God Hates Astronauts was a webcomic at the time. Um, so Blast Furnace was an improv comic where I drew, I wrote and drew a page in an hour <laughs> and I did it, um, Monday through Friday for six months. Um, and then I just, uh, so I just had a, a webcomic that was updating every, uh, you know, five days a week for six months. Um, and so it forced me to kind of, work fast and get uh, more more confident in my storytelling and my writing and my inking. And, uh, you know, some of the drawings are actually okay, <laughs> despite the uh, time constraints. Um, so, yeah, and it, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It kind of has its own little following, um, and it's definitely a smaller following than God Hates Astronauts, but I think uh, Blast Furnace might, at, at times, is, is actually a better book. Which is kind of weird to say. <laughs> well, it does have a very stream of consciousness sort of feeling where you'll, you'll see the story going one way and then suddenly now we're somewhere else. Something else is going on. Characters are doing things that are just somewhat inexplicable, but then, you know, have, they work. It's just that it kind of takes a, a right and a left turn, you know, in times you don't expect. But I really enjoyed that first and, um, some of the uh, kind of crazy uses of animals uh, jumped out at me during that book that then in God Hates Astronauts, you continue to use and have so many different 
either, you know, walking, my favorite, of course, walking bears, um, <laughs> owl-headed creatures, horse-headed, of course, um, just pretty much every animal you can think of. Do you, do you like drawing animals? Is that like one of your, your favorite things to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm basically, I grew up a big Ninja Turtles fan, so I'm basically just drawing Ninja Turtles characters that don't exist. You know, it's like everybody just has a, you know, it has a human body, but uh, an animal forehead or an animal head for their head. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really a lot of fun. Like, I really enjoy drawing human anatomy, you know, like almost every comic book artist I grew up trying to draw superheroes and learning how to draw strong, you know, physically strong men and women. And, uh, but you know, like I, I also love drawing animals. And so, uh, I, that, that's just kind of where it becomes this combination. And, and it's, it, it's also funny to me because people have like a preconceived notion about what an animal means personality wise. Uh, you know, like what, you know what a cow would be like or what a turtle would be like and it kind of informs their personality a little bit like if i drew a character that was like a cheetah then you would feel like it was kind of being like you know quick and deceptive and you know i mean that that kind of thing so so we always attach kind of personalities to animals um so it's fun to to from a character design aspect to have those preconceived ideas about what an animal personality is mixed with the character and it just it, it makes it easier to write and it makes it um i don't know it's just it's fun i mean it's very vibrant i mean this this is the thing about Gotti's astronauts particularly when you when you guys see this on your shelves here uh probably after this comes out by maybe like a month because i think they're on the shelves in september september 3rd so okay. we're less than a month away so basically and, and and when you listen to this and they'll hear this uh, relatively soon when we're recording uh, please make sure that your comic store owner is going to be getting these because if he's not, then you're going to have to go on to Image's website and, and get them online because they're just, you know, you're going to love it. But the art is so dynamic. It's so unlike pretty much anything else that I've read. If we had to compare it to anything, and this sort of makes sense, I guess in your sort of sensibility and, and well, certainly in your art style because you've, you've done art for uh, God, or, uh, God, he's astronauts, Manhattan Projects. Mm-hmm. Um, you did what? Three issues now? Four, four, four issues. I did three parts, three Oppenheimer parts, um, that existed in his head, which was the Oppenheimer Civil War, where he fought against himself in a dreamscape. Um, and then I did a standalone story, basically about like a, um, a space dog, um, and it's uh, was in issue twenty one. That that issue particularly amused me because I know obviously you haven't read your other stuff. You know the 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 love of drawing animals, and in that issue, that one off, you get to do a lot of fun things with different alien characters, and even Laika sort of has a transformation where uh, she becomes he or she. I don't remember if it was a. It's a it's a she. she. Yeah. She becomes more like your other kind of like anthropomorphic or. I guess that's the right term. No, that's not yeah, even the right it term. Is. Yeah, okay. that's right. Yeah. So uh, it's it's just it was very humorous to me, and it, it's a great issue. It's a if you're not reading God, uh, God, I keep doing that. If you're not reading Manhattan Projects, you really owe it to yourself to not only enjoy the amazing Nick Patara art because he's he's a beast too, but um, Hickman's sensibility and your art style really married pretty well 
the Oppenheimer Civil War is just so ridiculous, but yet so, so you, you saw your sensibility. And I love that he even, and I don't know, this, this is actually a question. In one of the issues, I think one of the Oppenheimers, uh, probably the blue one, like chops a horse head. Mm-hmm. And that, like, right there, I'm like, oh, well, that's like, uh, Starfighter, you know, he has that half horse head. Yeah. So is that you or is that Hickman saying, hey, work that in? Uh, that's Hickman. I think, well, I got, I got the job based on Guy Hates Astronauts. Um, and that's how I met Nick. He was a fan of the book and he kind of bullied Hickman into hiring me to be the fill-in artist. Um, and then Hickman, you know, after, you know, subsequently had read it. And so, you know, he put a horse into the book because he, you know, kind of played to my strengths. And, uh, you know, our, our collaboration was, is pretty organic on that book. Um, you know, Nick, you know, Hickman does kind of only on that book, Hickman kind of does like, um, an outline, almost Marvel style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it leaves it very open to interpretation, especially with something like the, the Oppenheimer Civil War that was in a dreamscape. I just was kind of given free reign to make up what I wanted to. And then when Hickman actually wrote his, his dialogue for it, he incorporated things that I would make up, uh, give them meaning, uh, and make them, you know, more, you know, ha- give, give it more depth than just a bunch of stupid jokes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a really, I mean, it was awesome working with him because it was just like, you know, he, he, it was truly a collaborative effort and he and Nick do a truly collaborative book. And that's why it's so good and that's why it's so fun. You know, they have different, they're di- very different personalities and very different sensibilities and they, but they play off each other really well. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it is one of the curious books as far as like Hickman's catalog of stuff because it's unlike everything else he has. Um, yeah. And that's because I think it's the only book that he does it on that he doesn't write false scripts. Uh, cause he, he knows that Nick is such a good visual storyteller and so imaginative. Um, so they kind of got on the same page and then he writes outlines of what happens in every issue, uh, you know, Marvel style, which is the way they used to make comics. And then he, uh, you know, Nick draw, Nick breaks it down and then starts drawing it and Hickman writes it, the dialogue over it. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely the, the book has two voices mixed into one. Which, you know, a lot of his books do, but in terms of the writing, uh, the storytelling is largely Nick's influence helps, helps it a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a great collaboration and I'm glad it's still going. How, um, so that was your experience with Hickman. How would you contrast that with your experience with, uh, I think it's Mike Costa from Smoke and uh-huh. Mirrors? Yeah. Was it sort of a similar collaborative thing or was he more full script and you kind of came in and interpreted it? Well, Mike and I grew up together. Oh, okay. Um, so that was, you know, he's, he's my best friend. He, you know, he officiated my wedding. Um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, it was like kind of our dream when I mean, we grew up making comics. Yeah. We were making comics together in high school. So with Smoke and Mirrors, it was kind of like a dream come true. But fortunately it was, um, you know, a property that, that didn't really, didn't really play to my strengths. There was a lot of talking. Um, a lot of sleight of hand magic, which I didn't know anything about. Um, so it was kind of, it was heavily referenced and, uh, but yeah, Mike was writing full scripts, uh, on that, but you know, we were talking about it a lot. Um, you know, and, and I kind of did my own thing, uh, on it, but, uh, but yeah, every collaboration I've had has been 
been different. You know, the way that writers write um, is consistently, uh, you know, inconsistent. You know, like there's always some other, you know, opportunity. Some writers will write a bunch of details for a scene. Others will write, here's, here's, you know, we're inside this room, make it fun or something. And then you gotta have to like, you know, use your imagination to really bring it along. Other writers I've worked with will include like hyperlinks in the script to actual photo reference of what they're talking about, uh, you know, to get it more exact to what they want. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. I think because, because I am sort of a writer myself, the Hickman approach worked best for me because I was able to put more of myself into it. Right. Um, cause I, I, you know, I pride myself on my storytelling and my level of communication through my art. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't really draw in this awesome way that, uh, you know, everyone wants me to do their covers or pinups and, you know, everything's super badass or whatever, you know, like I, I kind of draw in a way where I'm more concerned with, the communication of it, you know, be it funny, be it scary, be, you know, uh, so I think, you know, when I get, when I get a job like Manhattan Projects, it plays my strengths of a, of, of a storyteller and, uh, you know, invention, um, which is, you know, all, that's what God Hates Astronauts is for me. It's, uh, you know, like I don't write scripts at all for myself. It's extremely loose. I mean, it's constantly changing. Um, you know, that's kind of, Again, it's, it's, it's like, you know, my history with working with, on Blast Furnace, uh, yeah, I'm good at improv, like improv and improvisation. Um, uh, and that's kind of, you know, my wheelhouse. Yeah, you can definitely feel that in Blast Furnace, but God is astronauts. Uh, I've sampled the first issue. I've, uh, I've, I've tried to, uh, you know, immerse myself in, in a fairly quick manner. And l- even then, like what I also love about your stuff is like you'll go back. And I just, uh, earlier today, I reread the, um, Goddess Astronauts, uh, trade that I, uh, got from your Kickstarter. And I was like, wow, I completely missed, uh, I forgot what it was now. Uh, <laughs> something to do with the bears, I'm sure, cause I do tend to fixate. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I mean, so, yeah, you know, so much so that I actually am staring at one of those, uh, one of the pages from that, uh, I bought off you with the, uh, the mystic bear tribe oh, and, yeah. uh, John yeah. L, John L. Sullivan, the, uh, uh, fisticuffs, uh, boxer, old timey boxer guy. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. so, so, so I, I do like that, that you, you, your storytelling, you, I mean, the jokes are visual and then you'll add an extra layer of the story with your, with the, with the prose or with the words or even word effects sometimes that are ridiculous, but I mean, just hilarious, you know, Prague was one that stood out to me earlier. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I mean, it's just so random, and yet, like, that's why I think your stuff is so unique in such a great way in, in a lot of comics, because you just don't find that level of zany humor. I mean, there are other people out there doing their own version of zany, but, you know, yours actually, I think, succeeds at being funny, whereas sometimes it's just so out there, you just don't even... You don't even know what to think. You're just like, oh, well, that's that's weird. But your stuff isn't weird because, you know, it's all familiar. Like, you've got tropes from superheroes. You've got, you know, old-timey boxers. You've got anthropomorphic, you know, animal creatures. You've got astronauts, which, by the way, that was something I was kind of worried. I mean, I'm not worried. I was wondering. After reading the original trade, I think the only time that astronauts are referenced is in that one (laughs) 
fleeting moment where they're like, oh yeah, we're the 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 super team. Um, what the five? The, the power person's five. Yes, yes, and they're talking like, oh yeah, we should stop that astronauts rebellion, and yeah. it's it's just completely moved on, like eh, whatever. <laughs> so I'm glad to see in issue one, you've got astronauts, like that's awesome. Yeah, that's what it's about now. It's actually, uh, you know, the whole idea. Like I thought about it for months and months on what I would do next, and the first volume was done in such a. Uh, haphazard way you know i was really thinking about three or four pages ahead at any given point you know i think that's about it um so with the new series i thought like all right i need a real plot here <laughs> if this is going to be an ongoing series and you know like I, I need to actually have things happen that you know follow a progression so that people have you know like a motivation and their motivation leads their character to somewhere. And and so then that advances the story. Whereas before, the story was being advanced because I wanted to come to stupid references or funny jokes or new characters that I wanted to draw. Um, so it's a little bit different. Uh, pacing is a little bit different of, of a, a type of story with a new one. And and I knew that I had kind of laid, I, I laid the seeds for... Uh, this whole intergalactic thing in the first volume, um, just through like the, you know, the D story of the series, you know, that didn't really matter. And so now I'm, I'm really focusing on that with the, uh, with the new series. Um, so it, it's, it's taken a lot more, um, coordination and, forward thinking and ability as a writer to pull it all together. But uh, so far, so good. Yeah, I really, I mean, because in that first trade, the the story really is about Starfighter. Like it's mm-hmm. his journey. It's and and he actually, I feel like in that in that first trade, like, like that is a consistent transformative. I mean, in many ways, <laughs> experience for him, um, both physically and sort of emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and that 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 is all prelude to what happens in issue one. And, and sets all that up is, is really kind of cool. So I hope, you know, obviously we all hope that when people read issue one and they go, well, who the hell, what, what's this guy's deal? Like you've got that OGN still, like, I'm sure you've still got a couple copies left, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. So yeah. I mean, you know, that people can easily go out and, and, and dig in the backstory of, of all these characters and like issue one, I believe you've got some of the side characters coming back and playing a, a more prominent role. My favorite, of course, and I know he's dear to you too, is uh, Gnarled Wilson or Winslow. <laughs> yeah. I don't keep on saying Wilson. Um, so if you haven't seen Gnarled Winslow, um, he's based off of a real person, right? Well, he's based slightly. I mean, he, he's based most off Bunk from The Wire. Okay. Uh, but in personality, uh, but visually he's, Kind of a mix of several Reginald Bell Johnson roles. Yes. From Family Matters and Die Hard. Yep, yep. Um, I was thinking of Die Hard, definitely. Yeah, it's more, it's more Die Hard, but I, I write him as if he was, uh, Bunk from, Bunk Moreland from The Wire. Oh, nice. Uh, so he's, he's kind of can be the voice of reason at time in the series, but he also has his own weaknesses. But yeah, he's, he's a really interesting character for me to write. Like he, cause he's the only one that isn't, for the most part, that isn't acting irrationally and running around and swearing and, uh, being totally self-centered, you know? And yeah. so 
trying to figure out what his course is. And, you know, like I had to, when I did the first volume, I didn't think at all about who these characters really were. I just, they were just jokes. And so for the, for the new series, I had to figure out who the hell they were and, you know, what they wanted and why they were doing what they were doing. And, and even when I'm, you know, writing the pages, I start thinking about it more and developing them further. Uh, you know, so like I'm trying to like build some depth into this and not lose the humor. And so far it's working. Uh, you know, people who've read it think it's pretty funny still, but you know, like I, it's got to hold together more than just, you know, funny sound effects and animals punching other animals, you know, <laughs> like it's got to be more than that because it's got to, you know, I wanted to go on for a while. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, I still don't know where it's going to go. I have a rough idea through 10 issues, um, and then it will just, as I'm making it, hopefully the ideas will kind of roll off of the ideas. Yeah. Because um, I, I tried to make this this universe where basically anything can happen. Mm. Um, you know, like the new series, I have, that, I, have a, I have a narrator called 3D Cowboy. Love it. Uh, but he's actually in 3D, so if you put 3D glasses on, he pops <laughs> off the page. But he's the only thing that pops off the page. Uh, and great. so having having that kind of thing, I'm, I'm starting to set this precedent that this is a comic book and there are things that I can do because it's a comic book. So, uh, you know, do, you know, I have like a fake advertisements in issue two and those continue in three and, uh, you know, the ideas that I'm having, I feel like it's going to get more and more ridiculous and outrageous as it goes on. Uh, because I just kind of pushing, you know, I'm just going to take baby steps to see what people will tolerate mm-hmm. <laughs> from what I'm doing. Now, so so you've created already a rich, fertile world for this kind of imaginative, just you know, like you said, whatever can happen, it probably will or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Would you bring in maybe somebody or other characters or the main character even from Blast Furnace as a way of sort of, reintroducing them to these new fans so that maybe down the road that could lead to something or. Yeah. I mean, I've always maintained it's the same universe. I mean, it's very clearly the same universe. Um, you know, sometimes the characters exist. I mean, the big difference is blast furnace doesn't have any, um, like superhero types. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, I think this slowly will kind of blend together. Um, because, you know, in my lifetime, I only have so many jokes. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, like eventually we'll start combining. So I don't have to like pick and choose where I use them. Um, but, uh, but we will see. It might be kind of a slow build. I've been working on Blast Furnace 2, um, but I had to stop because Guardians Astronauts is too demanding. But I've got, I've got only two and a half chapters. Sweet. Blast Furnace done. So one of my friends, like I said, who I gave that book to, he he actually had a question for you, and it's one of those like fan questions that are just kind of funny and ridiculous at the same time. Okay. He's like, "How does he get those ties that catch fire? Is that like a thing that he makes? Is it a thing he purchases? Is it just a an effect of his aura? What's what's the explanation for this man's uh, burning tie?" We we see him light his own tie on fire in like issue five of the first, so we know that he's lighting his own tie on fire. But they have like a preternaturally yeah, they long lived yeah. yeah they stay lit. Um, and some of that I'm actually like starting to figure out in my head. 
and so I can't really talk about it. Oh, sure. Um, but, but I'm working out explanations for a lot of that stuff. That's great. Because, uh, you know, that's what's funny is you, you have these weirdo ideas, and then they, they sound great, they, they look great, and then later, like you said, you go back and go, Okay, now what is this? How did the, how did we get to this point? You know, what is this guy's deal? And that's a great way to work, I think. I mean, it's it's far more imaginative imaginative to do it that way than like to you know sit there and sort of plot the world you're building from like you know way back, which is also a valid you know world sure, building technique. Yeah. I mean, you look at Hickman or Rucka, and that's what they do. You know, they have notebooks upon notebooks of this world that these things then emerge from. And, you know, those are just amazingly, like, complex and realistic and all that. But it's also nice to have that kind of zany cartoon. Like you said, Ninja Turtles, you know, just weirdo random things that you know have no basis in reality but are so much more fun because of that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I play off of my strength of being able to come up with stuff, you know? And I've yet to paint myself into a corner. Sure, it will happen at some point where I'll have to get someone else involved to help me <laughs> try and dissect what, where this needs to go. Um, but I, I feel like like the sense of humor that I'm building uh, within these books is so much me. You know, it's so much what I think is funny, right? Um, and it's very very genuine. Like I, I feel like a lot of stuff that's intentionally like silly and ridiculous is kind of someone sitting around saying what can be, what's the most ridiculous thing I can come up with. Uh, whereas I try to come up with something that has a logic to it, at least, you know, within this world. Right. And, and, or something that really makes me laugh a lot. Uh, you know, a lot of it comes from references and most of the references are from movies. So there's a lot of like movie references that like really play into the humor of this. Um, you know, where I'm just doing this scene from this movie, whether whether or not it's obvious. Um, I, I think my favorite one of those that I noticed in the original graphic novel, novel for Gotti's Astronauts is when the impossible uh, gets killed and is laying there. And if you haven't read this, uh, the impossible is this kind of weird sort of sh- uh, superhero, but with like a cape. So, but then the mask, this just creepy elongated mask that's then turned 180 degrees upside down. So the, the eyes are kind of at the bottom. And so this, this character gets killed and then the mask, he's laying there and then the mask blows up and you see the face of the person who just killed him, uh, Starfighter. Like that was a straight up, uh, Empire that, what do they yeah. call that cave? Yeah. I mean, that was like, that was straight up that. And I just laughed because I'm like, I hadn't thought about that scene in a while. Um, and so, you know, that, that's cool too. I think that it's good to speak the language of the culture and reference those kind of things, even if it's just for a joke, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, I, sure. I, I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's cheap, but I feel like it feels less cheap if I'm, if I'm enjoying it as much as I want the reader to. Oh, you yeah. Know? Uh, so that's, you know, that, that's kind of the, the thing with the book. Like, you know, I'm really, another thing I, I, I do frequently is I, I don't outright tell jokes. Like within the God Hates Astronauts world, there's no funny person. Like they're all very serious at all times. <laughs> right. And all the situations are extremely serious. Um, you know, which is something that happens a lot and, uh, especially like Adult Swim, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of Adult Swim shows like, you know, Space Ghost, uh, you know, Coast to Coast and Aquatine Hunger Force and some shows like that that really built, build on this 
sense of humor that everything is desperately serious um, and very high stakes and very high tension, and yet it's everything that's happening is totally unbelievable and stupid, you know. And and that that's kind of like an automatic sense that automatically makes it fun for me at least. No, I I think you're absolutely right. I hadn't even thought about that connection, but some of that early Adult Swim stuff, and I'm sure even the current stuff, but um, yeah, I haven't kept up as much, but definitely the old Space Ghost, Aqua Teen, and uh, gosh, even like uh, what's one of the other ones? Frisky Dingo comes to mind a little bit because again, like you said, the the, the characters aren't telling jokes; they're yeah. doing their things because they have motivations to do this that or the other and even if it's like a terrible thing like you know the main guy in uh, frisky dingo kill face you know killing somebody randomly like it's still hilarious because it's kind of random the way he did it or you know so, some some kind of a like side effect of the of the story mm-hmm. so sure. like that makes it again that kind of makes it dynamic and and it also makes it sometimes really unpredictable which you know again in this age where a lot of the big studio comic publications, maybe less so with Marvel and more so with DC, mm-hmm. they are a little by the numbers sometimes, and you go, sure. okay, I know how this story is going to go. It's going to do this and do that. But with something like Gaudi's Astronauts, especially some of the other image stuff like Profit and certainly Manhattan Projects, <laughs> it's just so much more looser in form. You know? Yeah. So I think that gives you just like, I mean, like you're saying, it gives you a lot of options, but it can also probably be overwhelming too. Sometimes like, okay, now where do we go from here? Yeah. <laughs> but that's part of the fun, I think. And I, and I know, I know many of the people who I know personally and people who we know like kind of our sensibilities and like our ch- some children of the nineties, some children of the two thousands who have those kind of media reference backgrounds will definitely love Gaudi's astronauts. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing the way that everything is, has gone in the industry, you know, because Marvel and DC can't really take too many risks with the type of content they're putting out because so much of the fan base has gotten so opposed to new things. You know, there's such a strong history in comics. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you'll find the same thing in you know, anything has a strong history and a strong family. So you see that in sports, you know, people don't want rule changes, you know, like, or, you know, like people don't, people don't like change. They like things that are familiar Yep. Uh, when they're really invested in them. I mean, look at the outcry so, about Thor being a woman and oh, yeah. uh, Captain America being black. It's like, these are not new concepts. Thor has been an alien before and there's been a black Captain America and a, you know, other Captain America is like, this is nothing new, but people still lose their shit about it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it's, you know, it's not really the company's fault. And, you know, I don't know whose fault it is. It's just kind of the, the culture of superhero, mainstream superhero comics is kind of built this way. Right. Uh, and so that's why Imogen Dark Horse and Oni can find this audience where people are like, hey, this is really refreshing. Look at how weird this is or how fun this is or look at this great idea. Yep. Um, you know, people don't have a preconceived notion of how it's supposed to go and a certain expectation that the characters are going to behave a certain way because they don't know the characters. Yeah. And that gives a certain level of freedom to the people that are making those books, um, whereas people working for, char- you know, creating characters that have been around for 60 years, 70 years, you know, like uh, there's not much wiggle room with what you can do with them because mm-hmm. people are going to cite precedent 
Uh, you know, this character doesn't ever do this. This character never did this. But, you know, if that character was still alive, they'd be 120 years old. Like, yeah. it doesn't, you know, like, uh, so, yeah. So, I don't know. I don't know. Like, the, the older I get, the less of a desire I had to ever work for Marvel and DC. Now, you have done some Marvel work. I, I remember you have the, the story with Charles Soule, I believe, mm-hmm. in one of the original Sins, uh, which is yeah. the tie-in book. I mean, it really is nothing to do with original Sin, much more than the fact that I guess it, it you know, reveals some kind of a original Sin involving the Inhumans, but... Um, it definitely ties into what he's doing with his Inhumans book. Are yeah. you are you in talks? Are you doing any more Marvel stuff or? Uh, no, you know I'm not I'm not actively seeking anything out because okay. the writing and drawing the ongoing God Hates Astronauts is what I want to do, and yeah. it's way too much work to begin with. Uh, I'm doing a short thing for DC for Charles right now. Cool. Um, that I don't know when it will be coming out, but uh, so yeah, so like all of a sudden I have two short stories with Charles, uh, with Marvel, and then one with DC. Um, that's kind of like I can check that off my bucket list of, you know, I work for the big two. Yeah, uh, you know, so all my business cards will say Marvel DC artist Ryan Brown. Um, <laughs> you know, but uh, but yeah, no, that's all Charles. You know, Charles and I have been friends for many years, and uh, you know, he has had certain ideas that he knows would work for me. And he's basically gotten me the job, those jobs when I wasn't even looking for them. Uh, but they're really, they're really a, a thrilling, uh, you know, thing, thing to experience to have. Yeah. I did like that short because it, it played off of your love of strange anatomy. <laughs> yes. uh, what was the, it's, it's not Legion. What was the character's name? His name is lineage lineage. Right. So he is an inhuman, who, you know, pretty much anybody in his bloodline, as they die, they, like, become part of him, and they manifest as, like, some part on his body. I guess they're, like, mostly faces. Yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. and it definitely was right up your style, because, like, you have, like, the anti-mugger, you know, who's got that third <laughs> fist coming out of him in, in, in Gotti's Astronauts, and, like, uh, all the crazy... Oh, we didn't even mention that Gnarls Winslow, in the original Gravity Novel, had these giant uh, ape arms but they unfortunately spoiler <laughs> got ripped off <laughs> so now he's replacing those with like these nice metallic sort of like cyborg implants which is uh, a nice yeah. development i mean obviously the guy, guy needs some arms but uh yeah so well, I, he, wor- he works for nasa now he didn't work for nasa in the first series and so now he has some money oh, uh, you know before he was a chicago cop but uh, <laughs> a good government yeah. uh, that good space program money that there's so much of right <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
That's right. <laughs> well, I do, I do love that the NASA's in there. I mean, it's in a, totally a random thing, but it's like, you know, NASA in your world has so much more power and so much more influence and, and yet it's, it, it just makes sense. You're like, oh, well, yeah, we represent NASA. We're a super team, superhero team that, that also just, we're, we're sponsored by NASA. Like it totally, yeah. it makes sense in a bizarre way. So I love Good. it. As long as it makes some sort of sense. Yeah. Then I mean, I'm all, I'm all for it. Yeah. It, it has to have that, like, just incredulous, like, really? That's what you're doing? Like, I will admit, like, the first issue, again, not to spoil too much, because I know everybody's going to go out and read it, but there is some interesting, um, interactions with animals that I, <laughs> I certainly <laughs> was a little like, Oh, we're going here, huh? Okay. And, and I love it because they're these astronauts, but they're farmers. And they, you know, the one guy falls in love with a chicken. Uh-huh. It, it's just like, it, it, it's going down this path and then it takes a swerve and of course then becomes even more ridiculous. Kind of like when, uh, Starfighter gets his, uh, his new, his new horse buddy to, to merge with him. Yeah. Inexplicably to give him a head after he had his giant head deflated. No, I, I, uh, I'm also really excited about, you know, the, the family dynamic in the, um, Starfighter and, uh, was it Starrier? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then what's the baby called? Starlina. Starlina. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be dumb and it is, you know, <laughs> but it's cute because, you know, and, and this is where, you know, obviously I would not say that Gaudi Sashna is something you would hand like a, like a young kid, but mm-hmm. I, I think that there is a certain age where you, you, it may be high schoolish or even middle school that'll really get a kick out of this kind of stuff. I mean, as random as stuff like Adventure Time is, you know, this is that just you know in a more uh, I don't know I wouldn't say comic book way, but in a more uh, definitely animal associated way. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think a lot of people who do like that sense of humor will definitely find stuff here. But yeah, the chicken thing was like a little uh, oh. Well, all right, chicken. I don't, yeah. Like we're we're not a we're not a family friendly podcast or anything, but I'm like, just can't beat myself to say the words, chicken fucker. Okay, I said it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't see it happen. No, it's no, just, that's true. It's, it's referred to. You know. Now, was there a subtle reference to um, Sam Humphrey's uh, "Our Love Is Real" in that? You know, I never read that. Well, you so said we- something in the dialogue that said something about. I think it was the farmer or at the. Farmer astronaut guy is like saying something about because they're gonna take his chicken chicken uh, love interest away and he's like our love is real or or something like our love is true or something like that and it just reminded me of that ridiculously outrageous Sam Humphreys indie where basically you know people are starting to have you know sex with animals because it's safe you know yeah so well, I mean it, it wasn't intentional but uh, it is I will say the one thing that I think saves this little three-page love story at the beginning of this issue uh, is that the chicken is also in love with him. Oh, yeah. So, you like... did draw that, and you conveyed that very well. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it, not Henrietta. It's Hennifer. Hennifer. Yes, that's great. So, I mean, this is – I'm so excited for you. I, I really think that this could be really cool, and I'm thrilled to know that you've got it thought out you know, and, and, and far enough without getting too overplanned. And like, I'm really excited about how other people respond to this. I'm sure you are. Um, 
You I'm actually too. terrified. <laughs> well, that that's a kind of excitement, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, and and I will say this: like your art too. Like going back and rereading the original Ogian and Blast Furnace, and seeing some of your early stuff, Smoke and Mirrors. Is, you know, like you can tell you have grown so much through doing all that work that what I've seen of the the ongoing now, it just looks great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I just keep progressing in one way or the other, you know, because I I haven't really plateaued, um, which I think is a really good thing. And so I hope I don't plateau with my skill set for many years to come. Yeah. And uh, so you guys who are listening, please double check that your store is going to get it because, you know, with any, with any image book, number one, you know, a lot of stores like the number ones, I guess. But really, it's like the number twos and threes, I guess, that they're sort of a. They don't order as much of those, you know. You have that whole yeah. Stigma. It can drop off pretty big. So you know, if you're if you're interested in what we're hearing about, if you if you go online and check out the original graphic novel, start telling your store to make sure they have issues like two two and two and on because yeah, one will be great and uh, everyone's gonna want to keep up with the uh, crazy mixed up adventures of uh, <laughs> of NASA, <laughs> Star Fighter, all the great characters in there. Um, and uh god keep you doing that for a while that's gonna be so cool i hope so i hope i yeah i hope if i can get if i can get three more trades out of it before i go broke that would be <laughs> awesome <laughs> that's my new goal well hey you know that i you could do a lot worse you know yeah right exactly <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me it was good that we finally got to do this yep amen all right take care man you too All right, so that was Brian interviewing Ryan Brown. Next up, during Orlando Nerd Fest, Brian had the chance to sit down with Stephanie Messenger, or Steffo, of my parents' favorite music. If you think being a chip-hop or nerd music artist is tough, try being transgendered and doing this. Well, that's the road that's being paved by Steffo. So here we go, Brian and Steffo. I'm Brian with Flame On. I'm here with my parents' favorite music. That's me! That is Stephanie. Steffo, I guess, sort of still, people might know you from both. I don't know. Messenger. Steffo is still short for Stephanie. Okay. It works. Good. And uh, two other musicians, and I'll let them introduce myself because I have a bad short-term memory. (laughs) Uh, My name is Steven, and uh, I'm filling in for bass when uh, when she comes down here in Orlando, and yeah, play bass. <laughs> yeah, great. I'm Matt, or MC. I still play drums sometimes. <laughs> All the times. Very cool. Well, I really appreciate it. Stephanie and I have been trying to get an interview together for a while, and uh, you're out of uh, Michigan, right? I am. So, you know, technology is great, but sometimes it just doesn't quite work out, and we haven't had a chance. But now we're down here at Atlanta Nerd Fest in Orlando, Florida, of course. So... Uh, so glad to have you on. Thank you for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, this is, uh, let's dive right into it. So this is a uh, part of our uh, GLBTSTUV uh, XYZ yeah, uh, <laughs> musician series. Uh, and I first found out about Stephanie and her music actually a year ago. Uh, Nerdapalooza 2013. May they rest in peace. Uh, <laughs> um I went and saw uh, a couple bands that I wanted to check out, and I talked to our friend, our mutual friend, Mark Sidorius from Mark with a C, or, well, Mark with a C. Mr. C, I like to call him. Ooh, I never C. call him that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Mark, as soon as I get there and I say hi to Mark, he's like, 
you've got to go check out this band. Oh my god, you've got to go see him. You've got to go see him. I'm like, uh, all right, I just got to Nerd Blues that day, <laughs> and so I rushed in there and I sat through the set and I loved it. It was great. And then I went to the merch booth, and you were, I think, off doing something else. But I talked to whoever was working the merch booth, and I don't remember. And I looked down, and I'm like, oh, my God, there's a rainbow, uh, what are those little bead things called? Bead the, sprites. Bead sprites. And it was a, it was a, um, a rainbow, uh, I guess your band's logo. It's like a little uh, smiley face or googly right. eye. Yeah. She, she's gonna go dig one out. <laughs> so of course I'm interested, and I'm like, there it is, and it's sitting. That so a, same thing is sitting up on my fridge to this day, Yay! and I'm like, what is the deal with this? Who is this person? I got to know more. And so then we started talking on Facebook, and you know now we're finally meeting. So this is awesome. So my parents' favorite music: nerdcore, nerd rock, geek rock. I mean, there's all kinds of labels we all throw around. What do you consider it? I consider it just plain fun. That's what I try to tell people. Like, when they tell me, I say, of course, first thing is my parents' favorite music, but I like to say if you have to put a label on it, I'm starting a new thing, and it's going to be called Just Plain Fun. It will catch on like wildfire in an iceberg. But uh, it, people call, I mean, it's, I consider it kind of chip hop, I guess. People in the nerdcore community have taken me in, and I've welcomed it. But I've never really considered myself nerdcore. Okay. I've considered everything nerdcore or everything. There's some elements of nerdcore yeah. in there. There are there, which is why people tend to it's, be drawn. It's to an that. amalgam yeah. of different concepts. But really, chip hop, I guess, would be the best used to describe it. Which is perfect to me because I'm actually I'm a musician and I love chip tunes, but the hip hop thing has never been as big for me. But your music's nice because it's hip hop, but with chip tunes. So I love that. That makes well, so much I, sense. I always get a lot of people that are like, I don't like rap, but I like you. And I'm like, then you like rap. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And then really it's it's a lot of, for a lot of, well, I mean, it's getting it's getting different. It's getting more diverse, certainly. But, right. Um, now, you started this band, I believe, in like 2000? Correct, sir. Wow. And you... Been doing your homework. I am maybe a little bit uh, over a few drinks. Yay. Um, <laughs> no, and, and I mean, that's impressive because, I mean, 14 years... Doing this on again, off again, like just making you this is your thing, like that's amazing to me. Uh, because so many musicians will crash and burn and fade out, and you'll never hear from them again after they've had like a you know one or two hits. But you've had what four albums? Uh, five now. Five. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's a really big achievement. Thank you. Um, now, do you want to talk about like, like why did you start this? Was there some kind of like a thing that sort of caused you to say I want to start a band? Growing up, I played video games and I always thought they needed like video game music didn't have any vocals to it and that bothered me I grew up with and it really was my parents favorite music I grew up with stuff on the radio like oldies and then I had my older brothers that were about 8 and 10 years older than me they listened to a lot of heavy metal in the 80s and then I myself liked the stuff in between like the disco and the uh, the 90s hip hop that they didn't really care for so it was a, a big culmination of stuff and because of that, I wanted to make something that I liked on the radio because there wasn't a lot of stuff that I enjoyed. So I just said, screw it. You know, I'm going to try taking the video game music and just putting my own stuff to it. And honestly, it was just a hobby at first. I started as a Bloodhound Gang cover band. Oh, my gosh. It was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> well, cover bands are their own unique place in hell. But, but you know, I've, I mean, I've, I've been in a cover band, so I can say this. We have um, all. Yeah. It's, yeah. But, you know, you learn a lot. I, I really do feel like it's a good place to start a musician. Um, Bloodhound Gang, though, a particular one, since they had, you know, a few albums, not too many to choose from, I guess. But um, what, 
so you're my, my parents' favorite music. That did originate from sort of the music that you knew your parents loved and they instilled in you over... Yeah, well, what ended up happening when I first started, it was a, a high school battle of the bands, and I couldn't come up with a name, and I just, I didn't care, but I was like 17, I was like, I'll call it This Band Sucks, and my mom's like, that's stupid, and I'm like, alright, I'll call it My Parents' Favorite Music, and she's like, I like that better, and I'm like, alright, whatever, so 15 years later... It's stuck. It's a, but you hear so many stories about band names, it's always like that. The good ones that last are always like, oh, well, somebody just suggested such and such, and it's Suck stuck. corn. Yeah. <laughs> corn. Actually, um, Huey Lewis in the News. It was originally Huey Lewis and the All-Americans or something, and then one of the producers was like, just call yourself Huey Lewis in the News, and it's stuck. And it's the thing. Everybody knows it as. Um, so that was high school. And you had a, a partner, too, that you were working with, correct? Yeah, I've gone through a few different partners. Okay. And it's just, essentially, MPFM has always been what I consider open source, where, mm-hmm. like, if somebody wants to be part of the magic, it's, um, I guess it's just an auditionary, auditionary process, and I let them see if they, if they enjoy it and if they want to actually pursue it with me. And it's my baby, you know? And it's yeah. like, so I say, hey, if you can do it. Do it with me, and we'll we'll mesh things together. Had you been in like high school band, like music? Otherwise, I, I did. Like when I was in middle school and high school, I played in bands and I learned the basics. And you know, thank God I did because it it really did help me to this day. And I actually was just telling somebody about it. Oh, if I didn't have that stuff, I might not have been a musician because I learned about measures, I learned about timing and mm-hmm. breaks, and you know the simple stuff. The, yep. the again the foundation. So yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for that kind of stuff, I don't know if I would have been doing this now. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly helps, uh, you know, depending on who you're playing with, if they're legit or if they just play or whatever. And, you know, some people know how to read music, some don't, but it's like a nice foundation, right? You speak the language. Now, chip chiptunes is cool because, like, I think when you started, really, there wasn't a whole lot to go on with chiptunes. Like, you pretty much no, had to sample your I, own stuff. When I first started, there were only two inspirations, besides the stuff, like, that the suburban white kids listen to. Like, we, and it's, I'll... I'll admit, like, it was, like, the Insane Clown Posses and the Cottonmouth Kings, and I was, like, the only person that didn't smoke weed that listened to them. I felt so out of place. <laughs> right. That's the thing. I listened to all of these bands that, like, I didn't relate to, but it was the closest thing. So, and that's why I started making my own stuff. But when it started becoming geekier, like, I heard MC Chris for the first time, and that helped. I heard many bosses for this t- first time, and it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. But I thought I could make something my own, and but mesh it well. Like, I would take I would take mini bosses songs and rap over them. That's how I started. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. That's that's a great way. I mean, because so many, um, I know, I'm a technical guy, too, and it's like you get lost in the minutia of making chiptunes. But why not sample and then build from there? It's perfect, because they have such passion in themselves, and what I do just needs something like that. It's a perfect mix. And you mentioned you, you collaborate with a lot of people. I know you collaborate with uh, MC Shy Guy. Uh, I know he was on uh, not two albums ago? or is he uh, The both? last album I came out with, Win Win, I was Win-win. one of the, the main LPs. And he did the, uh, the intro track for it. Yeah, which, which if you have a chance, I really recommend that one as, I think, a, like a starter track. Just because it's a good representation of your sound. And it's it's a well written song. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Um, and then uh, let's see, who else have you? You said you collaborated with. MC, did you have you collaborated with MC Chris or just? Uh, he did an introduction track for the the album previous to that. Okay. And then uh, White uh, YT Cracker, I believe. Uh, we've we've done things together. Uh, and then there's MC Lars, uh, Brendel Floss. Uh, I mean, and live shows is crazy. That's right. Yeah, you're you're yeah. That's where I saw you. Um, 
you have the thing where there's the extra, and I, I apologize, the song name escapes me, but the extra life, and it's uh, Brennel Floss and comes out and, and does the the extra. Oh, that's life a self titled track, Win Win. Yes, yeah, that that is. I saw that live, and I actually had wanted to see uh, uh, Brennel Floss, and so that was what uh, that was really cool that he did that. Um, so overall, your uh, sort of trajectory as a musician, you play a lot of uh, nerd music festivals, of course, like this. Um, have you found it kind of a, I don't know, do, do, you, do you enjoy doing the, just that, or do you do other gigs, or how do you kind of... I enjoy this more, <laughs> yeah. but I, I do, what I do is very specific, and can't, I try to play venue shows locally, or even in other areas if mm. I'm in an area, but it doesn't pan out too well. We didn't do the cur- uh, the con circuit until uh, we got together, actually. 2011. <clears throat> okay. I didn't play conventions until I met MC. And then, being the businessman he was, he started, like, mass emailing every single convention. Mm-hmm. And then we started touring conventions at that point, and, and we well, built up a repertoire. Yeah, yeah, to be honest, it was like, you know, I, you know I've played in a lot of different genres. It's easy for drummers to kind of <laughs> yeah. band hop, you know what I right. mean? So, doing that, and then I, I saw this niche, and I was like, oh, man, this is actually really good. When we first you met know? each other, he was like, hey, I want to play my whole iPod full of just NES tracks, nothing else. And he played me some Wizards and Warriors. Oh, and it was a sample yeah. I had already used for a song. <clears throat> so like, and we met each other like at his place. And I played all of the previous MPFM songs I had already done. And he played drums to it. And it was like another chapter. It, like it just worked perfectly. Yeah. I love how that stuff layers because chip tunes by itself can be so minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, uh, what's the group? Uh, well, they're out of New York. They did the Scott Dove. Yeah, I'm on a Gucci. Yeah. And I'd only heard their chip tunes, and I heard them live when they played Orlando, and they layered on the drums and they they everything fantastic. else. We actually got to play with them in Knoxville. Yep. Nice. Yeah, it was fantastic really great. They, awesome guys. Cool. And great guys. We used their samples for a song, and we're like, hey, can we use your samples? And they're like, Go, go ahead. It's fantastic. Please. And I'm, I'm really impressed, too, by the community's willingness to be so free and sharing and collaborating. Right. Because in other, other parts of the music industry, that's not as common. Um, but uh, so, so the nerdcore scene is really now what you've found to be the most uh, successful and certainly the most uh, where you can be yourself. Exactly. I mean, successful is a... a it's, it's a good term, but I would say more loving. Loving. Because, honestly... I can't say I'm completely. Su- I mean, I. It's it's popular, but at the same time, it's like we we really do it for the camaraderie. Yeah, the money isn't quite there. It, yeah, I, I tell you, it's, it's like the. We Amanda- always say one more year. <laughs> well, it's the Amanda Palmer thing too, because I know one of the things that you do is you when you're going to play an area and come down, you say, "Hey guys, hey Facebook, you know who's got a couch?" And Amanda mm-hmm. Palmer is very famous for crowd surfing, crowd surfing, couch surfing. And, and using that as a chance not only to find places to stay and sort of help subsidize the cost of touring, but also meet her fan base. And again, the you in particular, but also the community seems very good about engaging the fan base that's and including great, the yeah. fan base. Absolutely. That's, that's, always, that's actually what's most important. Yeah. No, I mean, so it, it makes up for a little bit of the money co- of the money oh, not being absolutely. Yeah. I mean, with what we do, like, yeah, we don't, we don't make much money in what we do, but we know that what we're actually writing about is down to earth and it actually isn't it's just no money you know yeah and blah 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 I don't want to say I don't know if I can swear oh yeah go ahead bitches hoes <laughs> so <laughs> it's things like that and of course that's the the slippery slope argument about you know mainstream rap versus what we do and things like that but all the people here 
they're, I mean, they're living their lives and they're just trying to make ends meet. And this is just, uh, it's a getaway and it's a nice getaway. And now it's, it's becoming something other than just a little get together with friends. It's not just family. It's like there are people bringing little kids here now and I have to watch my swears, but it's all right. Cause I still like, we were in the elevator last night and there were a bunch of people and there was this little kid that like, he, he, he left his dad in the elevator to, to just jump around for a second. He was playing crisscross and he ended up going to the other elevator with all of us rappers. <laughs> oh no. And he got lost. He got lost with a capital L. It was like, whew, see the logo. Anyway, so he gets in the <laughs> elevator with us, and he's in the corner. And, like, I can't get in the corner right now. But, like, he's in the corner just, like, he's looking at everybody, but not looking. And then, like, I look down at him, and uh, I'm like, do you like rappers? <laughs> and he's just, <laughs> and then looks away. <laughs> And then the elevator opens up, and he, like, squeezes through everybody oh. and runs to his dad. Oh. So, and, like, experiences like that. Like, now it's 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 becoming for everybody. And, oh, Grant, I scared children. But <laughs> it's it's really nice to know. You left a big impression on him, I'm sure. Right? I mean, no, and, and seriously, in those kind of sense, he might have been scared at the time, but he'll think back on that and go, wow, that was awesome. Yeah, I threw you a know? demo at him. <laughs> <laughs> Did he catch it? <laughs> It left a mark. Um, okay, so I want to I want to dig into this because um, one of the things that I've read about your career is you did start as a very I will say b- bearish uh, young man, right? Uh, and I don't know the timeline here, but now you carry yourself as a very nice, attractive woman, and so you, you know are, how to make a girl blush. No, oh, well, you are very. Um, you're, you saw our friend, our mutual friend, Cat Blackard from Nerdy Show, likes to call it gender fluid. And he has certain elements of this that he expresses in his life as well. But um, in the community that we are a part of, the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transsexual, all that crap, where do you consider yourself? If you had to pick a category or two that you want to kind of sort of align with, what would you consider? Stefo. Okay. (laughs) No, and that's honestly, I love hearing that. Then, well, I'm actually a trans otter, I've, bisexual, I've, whatever, who likes, uh, uh, well, you know. I've, I've learned that, like, I mean, growing up, like, yeah, like you said, I was very bearish. Like, I, basically, that was my Camaro with the small penis kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, I was overcompensating, but I still liked color and fashion and stuff like that. Right. But I didn't think I could do it before I came out as trans. So when I came out, like, even as trans, I just, I didn't, like, I felt like I wasn't part of the binary even... And it's nothing against anybody, but when you do that thing, some people just, like, they get into that mode where they they feel like they have to be feminine or have to be masculine. And like like you are talking about Cap, it's a, it's a gender-fluid thing. Like, I remember hearing somewhere that somebody said that I wasn't trying hard enough to be feminine, and I, I just laugh at that. Like, you know what? Like, yeah, I sound like Barry White. Do I give a shit? No, I go into the men's bathroom... And some guy will give me a dirty look, and I'll be like, "Sup." <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is amazing because um, you got to break stereotypes. Exactly, and that's what's so cool about it because we have so many of you know we do a lot of stuff with drag queens. We have a whole thing that Oral from a comic shop does called Drag. His name is Oral. Oh yes, <laughs> Oral's fabulous. You would love Oral. Uh, would I? You know, hey, <laughs> it's a hard hey, sell. Let me tell you. So um, we love you, Oral. Um, but no, it, we have a lot of feminine queens that come on. But my favorite drag queens and my favorite individuals are the ones that say, "You know what? I'm a boy in a dress. That's what I am. Whether it's recreational, you know whether how hard it's- it is to explain to people that I'm a tomboy." 
because I have a dick, and they're like, yeah. you can't do that. And I'm like, I'm not listening to you. Right. <laughs> like, like, no, that's it. and it's, that's the best because it's so easy to do the binary thing. But I think, like, one of my favorite drag queens is Milk, and she's <laughs> one of these queens who has the stash. And that is, oh, and another it's like, one. Conchita Worst? Yeah. And in fact, another one who's going to be there at Furgasm, like we were talking about, Beronce, full beard. I already like the name. Full beard. <laughs> Dragon Tell her beard. I said hello. Beronce is amazing. <laughs> we actually, she was on our second episode of our Drag's New Spandex show. So um, I love that, and that's great. And I want you to, I mean, you own that, and I'm glad because. I'm it, renting it. Oh, you're renting? Okay, well, I'll rent it. <laughs> Lisa, at least. Um, because no, that is really a powerful statement, and I want more people to be. I want them to be acclimated, but at the same time, you don't want them to be completely acclimated because there's power in it now. And if it's just common, then it's not as going to be as well, much powerful. I'll put it this way: somebody came up to me at this particular convention and said, "You know what? I really think that you had some kind of um, influence on the community because I'm seeing a lot more trans individuals here." that are actually going to see your show in particular. And I think that it's just, it's, it's open. Like when I do things like, and I just don't care, like to me, it, it was, it was a big boundary to break for me, but now that I've done it, I'm just comfortable with it. But like now I'm realizing that there are other people that are like maybe sitting in the bedrooms or whatever, you know, either a listening to music or just seeing the concert and stuff and realizing, Hey, if she can do it, I can too. That's great. And that's what it's about. So I'm so happy to be a part of that. That's, I mean, that really, it really does mean a lot because I, you're right. People just hanging out. They, they, they own their only connection is online. That's that now at least there's that. Cause I mean, I'm old enough to remember there wasn't a lot of online when I was a kid. My only connection we was stick ball. Exactly. You know, we, <laughs> we built sandcastles and played with our GI Joes. All right. But I mean, no, we had no community to identify Not with. At all. We didn't know what the hell normal was except for what we saw on TV and what our parents did and all that. And to have this community now that's. Out there that we can reach out to, I mean that's that's and to have people like you and Cap and all these people who don't who reject the gender binary binary that's not right the the, the binariness of the gender two party system the two party system thank you that's much more succinct I mean that's I think that's really important so um, what else is there what what's coming up I know you're touring right now if you're down in Orlando what is next for your uh, your band sleep. Uh, there, um, I'm in talks with a couple of people. I mean, I can't disclose too much. Uh, I am in talks with possibly touring soon. Great. Um, I can't say it's national or international. Wink. Uh, but other than that, um, a lot of collabs, like always. Right now, I'm in the process of going back into the studio. Um, if people don't know, MPFM has always been about a... Uh, a modus operandi that we're going to make six CDs total, LPs, that are part of a giant map. Okay, yeah. It's yep. our, um, our collaborative effort. And there. if you haven't seen the picture, think, uh, I don't know, Mega Man? What was the, the, the... There's like a correlation, a visual correlation, I remember. I stole the sprites from Earthbound. That is, okay. But, like, it basically... But it's, it's like a video game map, and each CD is a level. And right now, we're on level... To, like, I released a bonus round, an EP, mm-hmm. and that was the last CD. But right now, I'm in the process of working on level three. And uh, I don't know when that's going to be out because I want to perfect it for you guys. And I still have a lot of collaborations and a lot of work to do. I'm working with a producer. His name is Too Mellow. He's out of Kentucky. Uh, he did the last album, okay. and he's fantastic at what he does. 
But right now, I'm just I'm in the studio focusing on that and possibly doing some touring in the next year. Okay. So, keep them busy. That's that's it's all a musician can ask for, really, right? right. That's so great. And um, do you guys want to add anything? Uh, you're, I mean, obviously, you're local. You're the local. Tell right? about yeah. your bands. Yeah, right? I mean, please. Oh, um, well, uh, I'm, I'm in a band called Under Polaris. Yeah. And uh, it's a chiptune inspired. Uh, rock band where it's me my fiance and a friend of mine and uh we're very much kind of uh, kind of do what, what Sebo does in that we're very video game inspired right. we do video game covers original inspired by video games and the um chip element uh if you will is a synth that I've made that sound reminiscent like 8 bit 16 bit stuff what, what do you use for that uh I uh, do all my writing on uh like online, so like Guitar Pro, and I use all I make all my synths with like VSTs uh, okay. that I find online. Though that's all it's all software. Okay. Technical jargon. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and um, yeah, just been doing that. And uh, one of the things that kind of got it in motion was um, I went to Nerdapalooza in 2009. I've been going oh, wow. 2009 yep. to 2013. Got to play 2013 with on the players, and it was a kind of dream come true for me. But in 2009, uh, one of the first bands I saw was My Parents' Favorite Music. That's me. And um, <laughs> it was like early, it was a Friday? No, excuse me. It was, yeah, it was a Friday, right? It was a Thursday with pre show. You act like I don't drink. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to say it was a Friday. It was like a Friday afternoon. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Probably like one or two acts before. And Stefo comes out, and I was really unfamiliar with this entire. Uh, scene right it's all, all this uh, like I knew some bands I knew some acts but the scene itself but the scene itself yeah. no idea yep and Stefa comes out and has a song uh, it's called Just a Game and it begins with Navi uh, from Ocarina of Time saying that hey listen and I was sitting there with my buddy Rob we just looked at you and started laughing like this is great someone knows this because we really didn't know like how big everything is uh-huh. and just hearing all the lyrics and we're laughing we're having fun watching like this is great and uh, we just kept in contact ever since. And every time played near Palooza, like we have to see Young Panther music. We have to see Young Panther music. We're never gonna miss it. We uh, never missed uh, one of your sets. And now it's come full circle because yeah. he's got his band under Polaris now. And and I could like absolutely hate his band because I'll tell him I'm a friend. I'll be like, if, if you're <laughs> shit, I'll fucking tell you. Right. <laughs> but like, I like his band, and now I want to work with his band. Cool. And, and rap with his chiptune esque stuff and. It's like it's come full circle, jerk. It's yeah. like as I like oh. to say it. Yeah, Sefo's the gift that keeps on giving. Right. Yeah. Yes. was definitely a big help for that because, like last year, you know, the, um, I did get to go on stage and play during a music set, and it was one of those things where, like, after Nerd Palooza had ended and yada yada, I just sat there in bed and just kind of thought about everything at once, and it was one of those like 2009 saw it the first time, thought this was great. 2013, I'm friends with her, we're playing music together. And this big influence, and really seeing like how great all this is, and how inspiring it all is. Now I'm able to do what I can do. <laughs> no, and that's really yeah, that. I mean, a big part of this. The, there's the other thing about the community that is there's a lot of musicians in the community, mm-hmm. which you know is a good sign. Yes, I mean, it's a just a genre that a lot of people like, but a lot of musicians that go, oh, I don't know about that. But <laughs> but in, nerd, in in the nerd music scene, there's a lot of musicians that are fans, not just friends and mm-hmm. you know fans or you know so i mean it's 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 really it's a it's a cool scene um mc what are you doing besides uh my parents favor is there anything exciting uh oh. yo it's your turn yeah no, i'm thinking man i was well, definitely playing a lot of drums 
No, unfortunately, no. I work for uh, Hewlett Packard. So. <laughs> oh, you're a technical guy too. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of that too. So yeah, that's what I do. But so. you're like weekend warrior. Do you play gigs? Uh... I try to do what I can. Uh, this is I'm actually taking PTO to be down here, so I, I try to take. Totally understand that. Three, yeah, I get three weeks vacation here, so one's family, one's personal, and one's for uh, touring. If okay. I can. I so that. Uh, yeah, I know. I try to do. I mean, you know, keep it open for like Magfest or or Blues Lisa, or the well, big guys. Yeah, right, the big ones, whatever, yeah. whatever they are, and then some small ones in between, like maybe Daycon or some. If those we meet ones. up in the middle, then we end yeah, up. yeah. If I can, it's tough though. I mean, I totally you know, understand. I'm a full time IT guy. Oh, totally understand. Yeah. Always on the clock, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> Nine to five, what's that? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, again, it's it's funny because there's a lot of geeks in IT and there's a lot of musicians in IT, yeah. which is really interesting to see that crossover. So, yeah. Well, that's, I, you know, I, I'm so thrilled that you guys are here. Yeah. And, you know, I'm really pleasantly surprised after the Nerdapalooza thing kind of fizzled out, Orlando Nerdfest seems to have carried the torch. Mm-hmm. A lot of good bands here this weekend if you're... If you didn't catch it, I don't know if there's going to be a next year. Honestly, I have no clue. I have no inside knowledge. Unlike Nerdapalooza, we don't know the people as well. But some of our friends are doing it, so uh, we hope there will be another one. And certainly MAGFest is another big one. We have a lot of DC fans, and I go up there for work a lot. And MAGFest is on my list. MAGFest. I need to come check it out. I really have heard amazing things. I've been there once. That hotel is wild. It's on the the bay or whatever. It's indoors. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's crazy. We were there with Shy Guy, and he's sitting there, and he saw the snow, and he looks at it, and he just screams into the mountains. He's like, it's January 3rd! <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> oh, there was a comment I wanted to mention. Please. Um, so, the, the, and, I, you know, Steph and I don't really get to talk about it, but uh, the biggest difference, because about, uh, you were mentioning, you know, Nerdcore and how it relates and all that, and, and how we're different, and I was thinking about that question during the early part of the interview, I think some of the biggest difference, or some, one of the big difference, biggest differences, is that in a lot of nerdcore and hip hop in general, it's I'm confident. It's 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 about me, what I have, what I can do. You know, my crew, or you know, what I've done, my experience, and that's cool. That's great. I like I like a lot of hip hop. You know, I'm a huge Tech Nine fan. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I like that kind of aggressive in your face stuff. But with with Steph, it's it's like. Down to earth here. Let's come and hang out together. I'm going to tell you a story. It's vulnerable. I'm going to to tell you a story. I'm going to have fun. I'm singing it with you. Come sing sing along with me. Do this thing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like we're both we're living this together, and I'm putting down on words and turn into a song. We, you know, you could write a song. We could sit down, go camping one night, sit down, have a have some great laughs. And then who writes a song about it but Steph, right? Mm. Yay. So that's that's the type of music. I like to know that I actually have a special appeal. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's when Steph met, you know, just plain fun. And, you know, you're like, well, some people might say, well, that's a cop-out. There's, it's not really. Oh, it's absolutely I mean, yet, not. You get the, you get people the, take life too seriously. You get the hip-hop feel, but you get the, you know, just plain fun, that whole storytelling, just hang out with us, party with us, whatever. You yep. Know, so the life's too short aspect. Yeah. That's actually how I felt when I heard Just a Game. At, <clears> because, like, the music, it's Rygar, right? For the, yep. Yeah, it's Rygar. Yeah. I'm like, this is awesome. It's Rygar. It's opening with Navi. And the lyrics, you know, like, you know, like, it's not They're just personal. a video game, you know, these things. Yeah, I'm not rapping about the video game I'm yeah. sampling, which is okay. I have friends that do that. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but the lyrics everything's relatable. Yeah. Like, I, mm-hmm. it's great stuff and very down to earth, and it's incredible. 
Well, thank you guys so much for doing this. I really appreciate you guys taking the time. I know you were rehearsing. You got another gig on Monday, Sunday, Sunday, Monday, Monday. Saturday. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> I'm going to actually get to hear you finally. It looks like at the Geek Easy because I didn't know you were playing that Saturday gig, and I'll be back from DC, so I'm so excited. Whoa! So thank you guys so much. And um, what's the website for Facebook or My Parents Favorite Music dot com or Facebook slash My Parents Favorite Music or Anything, just go to google.com. I bought that website. And if you google my parents here at music.com, that's my website. No wonder it came right up when I searched. Right? Let's see how that works. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. All right. There we go. Another great set of interviews to cap out this microsode for you guys. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check us out online, flameonshow.com, at flameonpodcast and a variety of other ways to get in touch with us. We each have an email address, so feel free to send us emails, comment, or tweet at us. We'd love to hear from you. Flame On. Thanks for listening to Flame On, a podcast made possible by Powder Milk Biscuits, the ones in the blue box, a comic shop, and the generous support of tops and bottoms like you. If you want to be one of our sugar daddies, you can help out by telling a cute single friend about us, reviewing us on iTunes, or putting some dollars down our digital G-string in our monthly support drive. For more ridiculously entertaining and socially enlightening episodes of Flame On, as well as other fine programs, head on over to Nerdy Show. You can subscribe to Flame On and all Nerdy Show Network podcasts via iTunes. And be sure to find us on Twitter at Flame On Podcast or Facebook on our Flame On fan page. And make sure to check out FlameOnShow.com for more nerdy queer in your ear. 